0: We are bad men and for the money.
1: TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend.
2: Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Friday the Thirteenth, indeed. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mads. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Thank you, Eric Kramer, for that lovely introduction. We're having a good time here already, and let's say hello to Bad Boy Benny Mathers. He's our Freddy from Friday the Thirteenth today. How are you doing, Senor? Oh, I
1: always wanted to be him and as he a said character you're a guy with
2: an axe to grind.
1: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> he had a great sweater. Yes, he did, and that mask too. Oh, yeah. That was a good time. <laughs> and I say this having seen snippets. I never watched a, a single uh, episode or a- entry in that movie franchise, famous or notorious, however you look at it. But it's still Friday the 13th. We're glad to have everybody with us. And we're very happy today, Suzanne, to be talking to a gentleman with whom we are well acquainted. He is a friend personally, not just a friend of the show. He's a friend of ours, a very honored one at that. And someone we met through the show. Oh, absolutely, and the guy can go through a tray of bread at an Italian restaurant (laughs) like nobody I've ever seen. I mean, I was grabbing thin air, trying to get a slice of bread away from this guy, and it was just fantastic when he visited us here in Sarasota for an appearance Mm -hmm. that he made, much ballyhooed, and a rich experience it was, and we got a chance to have a couple of meals with this gentleman and his fine Rocky trainer promoter, Partner, yes, Rocky, yes, she, Rocky Trainer, who is an extraordinary individual in her own right. They are a power-packed duo, and so uh, that happened. And I said, "You know,
3: almost a year ago,
2: almost a year ago." And we happened, uh, really kind of off to the side, we got into a little discussion about Friday the 13th and superstitions. And it turns out, I should have expected this. Mark Anthony has plenty to say about that in his scholarly and lawyerly manner. So I'll tell you what, you've got quite the mad props there, Suzanne. Let's get this honorable gentleman on the air so we can get to the bottom of this craziness.
3: All right. Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, who is also known as the psychic explorer, is a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's also a successful attorney, licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Mark graduated from Mercer Law School with honors, which included the study of law at Oxford University in England. He also studied mediumship in England at the Arthur Finley College for the Advancement of Psychic Science. He is the best-selling author of Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, and his highly anticipated third book is coming soon. Mark Anthony is also known as the Psychic Explorer. The media has referred to him as the Psychic Indiana Jones due to his extensive background in science, quantum physics, survival of consciousness, and near death experiences, history, archaeology, philosophy, and theology. One day, Mark may be lecturing at an Ivy League university about quantum physics, and the next, off to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to explore ancient ruins and supernatural phenomena.
2: Where's the jungle music when we need it?
3: Yeah, Mark appears nationwide on TV and radio. He has appeared on national TV, including the CBS hit show, The Doctors, where information He provided during a reading, he conducted Cracked, a Cold Case Murder. Wow. He is a featured speaker at conferences, expos, universities, which include Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale. And today, he is the person who will answer the question, what is Frigatrisca Idacophobia.
2: Hit the dump button there, but... I (laughs) was getting ready. (laughs) welcome,
3: Welcome to Manson Mitchell once again, Mark Anthony.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Gary. It's great being back here on Manson Mitchell. It feels like I'm home. And and hello to Bad Boy Benny, my uh, <laughs> radio brother from another mother. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we just we decided that we did not have a case
2: of markophobia. It's okay to call you on Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah, and having I'm, some fun.
3: And I do not have a case of frigatrisca idacophobia either. I was born on
2: the 13th. Well, that, well, Mark, now that we're into that, that's Friday the 13th specifically, appropriate for today, but there is a more general phobia, is there not,
1: around the number 13 itself? There is, and it's a really fascinating history because, um, you know, in my capacity as psychic explorer, I've been examining ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena my whole life, and, you know, w- with something like fear of Friday the 13th, and, you know, it, in... There were always something in many cultures about the number 13. In ancient Egypt and ancient China, 13 was seen as a lucky number, but in the Nordic religions, 13 was seen as an evil number because they had uh, the 12 Norse gods were having dinner and the party got crashed by Loki, the god of mischief. And he um, motivated one of the gods who was blind to shoot an arrow tipped with mistletoe, which struck down the god of light, Balder. And uh, so it was looked at as 13 is an unlucky number of guests at a banquet in the Nordic and the, the Viking countries. And then in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there were 13 people at the Last Supper. And the first one to leave was Judas, mm. who betrayed Jesus. So there was all of that. But throughout the centuries, people have been extremely afraid of the number 13. I mean, think about it, Carrie and Suzanne. Ever checked into a hotel, a high-rise hotel that had a 13th floor? A lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. And even on floors that don't have the number 13, how many times is a hotel room number not contain a 13 in other words there's like you know the fourth floor you don't see a room 413 there'll be a 411 and a 412 um, think about in our own culture how Apollo 13 was the one manned mission to the moon that had a freak accident and almost didn't make it that's right and then of course, you can say that well, this is just a mere superstition, but there's a big difference between a fear and a phobia. A fear is something that's natural. In other words, if you see a, um, a rattlesnake, okay, you have an instinctive fear of a rattlesnake, and most people aren't going to just go up and pick up a rattlesnake, and you know, unless you're highly trained and know how to do it. Um, but a phobia grips people; they'll break out in a sweat. The fear becomes almost not almost, irrational. And there's a lot of fears that we're familiar with, like claustrophobia, people being afraid of of being enclosed in a tiny space, Um, people who have uh, fear of heights, where they're afraid uh, that they're going to plunge to their death. And uh, frigatrisca decaphobia, also known as decatriphobia, which is interesting, because one's more of a Latin name for it, and the other one's more of a Greek. They both describe fear of Friday the 13th. And you know, Gary and Suzanne, that's more than just a, a mere superstition. According to the late uh, Dr. Dr. Dossi, he was head of the Phobia Institute of uh, North America. 21 million Americans suffer from Frigatriska to the extent where they won't leave their homes, they won't travel won't go to work, don't go to school. And it is estimated that every Friday the 13th, American businesses lose close to $1 billion in revenue.
3: Well, that's, that's interesting. This idea of 21 million people being afraid of Friday the 13th, you've got some great mythic information from various parts of the world. For that to still be here in what you know we would think of as such sophisticated times, do you think that those kinds of fears actually come through us or through our DNA?
1: You know, that, that's a really fascinating question because it is entirely possible. The more and more we study about genetics, we see you know the big question is nature or nurture, and perhaps uh, this is a bit of both. Because, you know, growing up in a, in a family that, uh, you know, Gary's talk talking about how I go through bread at an Italian restaurant. Well, you know, I'm of Italian descent. And let me tell you, that restaurant you guys took me to was really great. And, <laughs> and, and their bread was fantastic, you know. But Italians seem like they have a superstition for every occasion. Oh, don't cross your silverware. Oh, don't walk under a ladder. Don't do this, don't do that. And, and all these superstitions, though, actually have a historical basis, uh, walking under a ladder. Now, we've all heard that. Let me ask you this. If um, Gary and Suzanne, let's say you're walking down the street in, in St. Pete or, or in Tampa and you're walking by a building that's being painted and there's a ladder leaning against the building. Are you going to walk under it?
2: I will be honest with you. You asked
1: an honest question.
2: I will give you an honest answer. No, I avoid those ladders. And as I do it, Mark, I actually say to myself, I've done this more than once. I will mutter to myself, I'm supposed to be a rational man. I interview people on the radio and here I am acting like a superstitious 13 year old there. But, you know, Suzanne has her practical reason for not walking under a ladder. For me, it's just a, a bad habit that I never broke. Well, Suzanne, why don't you walk under a ladder?
3: Well, because something might fall down from above. Like a
2: can of paint.
3: Like a can of paint on (laughs) me. So I'm thinking more in practical terms than superstitious terms.
1: See, you two just made a very solid case for why you should not walk under a ladder. And where this superstition came from was during the medieval era. And it was considered that a ladder leaning against a wall was symbolic of a triangle and that God was at the top of the triangle, and it was the symbol for the Trinity, Father, Son, they say, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And that if you walked under a ladder, you were somehow interfering with the Trinity. And so therefore, that was bad luck. And when I was studying this particular phobia, it appears that during the medieval era when uh, great cathedrals and castles and other large buildings were being constructed, the reason that this phobia was, or this this fear, was put out there was to keep people from violating the practical. Like what Suzanne was saying, people walking under a ladder and a bucket of paint or a brick or a tool falling and hitting them. So you're both right. That works for me.
2: I want to go back to the hotel part because... I have personal experience in noticing this, Mark. I was glad that you brought that up. I lived for five years in Las Vegas, and I've made countless trips before and since. My folks lived there for many, many years. And, um, yeah, you go into a hotel. This would be numerous hotels, I would venture to say most, in Las Vegas, a city that runs on luck and the perception of luck, both good and bad. And I would notice that when I go to the elevator, there was floor 12, there was floor 14, but no 13. And in Las Vegas, it is an article of faith that you can't draw people in to pay money to stay on the 13th floor of any hotel that has a casino.
1: You know, that's an excellent point. Yeah, think about it. I mean, I've known a lot of people who are hardcore gamblers and you know gambling has to do with the law of statistics and the probability and even the uncertainty principle but when it comes down to it it's luck and you're no way you're going to get somebody who bases what they do on fear superstition and luck to stay on the 13th floor i mean what if you tried to put somebody on the 13th floor in room number 1313 mean, that's never going to work in las vegas no No, it
2: absolutely will not. And people will have their superstitions beyond the numerology of it. I've seen people with some really quirky stuff sitting in a Kino lounge or at the roulette wheel. There are people that just... Think that, and I I believe this would be called sympathetic magic if an anthropologist was looking at it. But people get into their rutted thinking, and if it works for them one time, they could remain forever attached to their superstition by and without ever referring to it by that term.
1: Think about when people drop and break a mirror. What immediately comes to your mind? Seven years of bad luck. You got it.
2: Clean up the glass. (laughs)
1: <laughs> clean up. The we, clean. Yeah, there's the this bad This the luck most practical piece. woman in North America. <laughs> I know, I know. You're great for this, Suzanne. The, where that superstition came from was ancient Rome. Mirrors became very popular back then. Initially, in, in before that, mirrors were essentially uh, polished copper, polished metals where you could see a reflection in it. But by the time of the Roman Empire, they were using glass, and they were extremely expensive. And so people did not want the, their servants, or in the case of Rome, generally slaves, not to touch their mirrors, because if you dropped them, it would be considered bad luck. But the Romans went even further, and they felt that the mirror somehow contained your soul. So that if you dropped a mirror, you were fracturing your soul and bringing ill luck and bad bad fortune upon yourself. So a lot of these superstitions that that we live by, like a black cat crossing your path, now that one that one always cracks me because you know cats are cool. You know uh, the Egyptians loved cats. You know cats. In fact, it uh, has been de- uh, determined or at least theorized by anthropologists. The cats were the first domesticated animal, uh, even long before dogs, because they preyed upon upon rodents, which would infest and feed on humans' uh, stockpiles of foods. So when they saw that you know cats were eating rats and mice, it was like, okay, these, these these creatures are all right. But it was viewed at in the Celtic countries, which would be the British Isles and and partly northern France, the uh, the the Celtic uh, culture, Celtic. Uh, uh, cultures, that a cat was a spirit of of a wise woman, which we know now as the term witch. And so that a black cat was essentially an evil spirit uh, of a witch. And that's why if you're walking down the, the street and a black cat crosses your path, that it is symbolic that this negative spirit is going to be somehow impacting your future, and it's it's really bizarre where some of these things come from. But uh, you know, prior to the Enlightenment, and even in some parts of the world today. People believe that there were demons and devils walking the world right after the harvest celebration of Samhain, which we call Halloween, and that uh, black cats were the spirits of witches, and that dropping a mirror fractured your soul.
3: Would you think that superstitions are closer to being phobias then than, than
1: fears? Well, they're definitely fears. The question is, do they rise to the level of a phobia where... Uh, you know, I gotta admit, uh, uh, I'm a pretty adventurous guy. I've been to a lot of places, but I'm not a real big fan of heights. And I'll I'll get the heights, and all of a sudden, you know, I'll break out in a sweat. And but I'm not one to to let my life be dominated by a fear. So to deal with that, I went zip lining. Okay, and uh, I was on the island of Kauai in in Hawaii, and so I went on this whole. It was an all day thing, and there was uh, I think there was ten zip lines. Well, the first one was, it was easy. You know, you climb up on this little platform and it was about 10, 15 feet above the ground and you're in your harness and you hook it on the cable and you jump and, you know, went about 100 feet. Well, the further we went into the jungle, these zip lines start getting farther apart and higher and higher. And the very last one was between what I can only describe as two mountain peaks and it was 800 feet in the air. And I remember standing there looking at the you know the 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 gorge uh that this cable uh, span i was breaking out in a sweat and i was going through all of that trauma all of the the fear of a phobia and i thought this is how you deal with it so i took that plunge and um i did the tarzan yell the whole way across i was like ah (laughs) because i figured i'm gonna face this thing and you know what um About halfway through, I stopped panicking and realized this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen as I'm ziplining above a, a, a fantastic rainforest in Hawaii. And when I got to the other side, I realized it didn't bother me. And since that time, I haven't had any dreams of falling. And, and while I'm still not a huge fan of heights, it doesn't grip me with that that sheer terror. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a psychologist, and she said, you know, Mark, that's actually how you're supposed to deal with a phobia. You confront it, and you, you get to the point where you break out in that cold sweat, and you go through all the physiological changes, and yet you proceed into it, and then you are able to allow your rational self to vanquish uh, the thing which is giving you the, the fear. And so I think on some level, everybody has some type of fear. The question is, does it rise to the level of a phobia? I mean, I've, I've encountered people who are terrified of the dark, uh, people who are terrified of swimming, uh, and of course, people with claustrophobia who can't stand being enclosed in spaces.
3: You know, one time, uh, not that long ago, in recent years, when I became really terrified, um, Gary and I were getting on a ride at Disney World. One of the, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the roller coaster rides. Thunder
2: Mountain Railroad. Thunder
3: Mountain Railroad, and I, at the first turn, I started laughing. And I ended up laughing throughout the entire ride for the however two or three minutes or however long it lasts. And for which we were in line
2: 50 minutes.
3: We're Right. We're in, in line a long time. And I laughed all the way through it. But when I got to the end, I realized that my laughter was not joyous. It was hysterical.
2: <laughs> it was, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you did it. And, and that's it. the whole point with, with yeah. phobias and fears is confronting them. Uh, you know, the number one fear in the United States uh, is not Frigatriska decophobia; It's fear of public speaking. I right. know that. Yeah, yeah. and it, which is anomalous uh, and, and almost unknown for the three of us because we're all public speakers. So we're all used to being in front of people and and being out there. And you know, I've spoken to to whole stadiums. I've been on television. I've been on uh, you know big radio shows like like this. And and uh, you know that doesn't mean that I'm not nervous before I go on. Uh, you know, especially when I w- was trying cases in my capacity as an attorney. And I remember this uh, this trial attorney when I was uh, I was out of law school, and I said, "Guy, I get so nervous before court, and I get scared." And uh, he was in his 60s. And he looked at me and says, the day you stop being afraid is when you should really be afraid. He said, because it keeps you on your toes, Mark, keeps you sharp. Once you start getting complacent, you let your guard down. So, you know, we we nobody likes to be afraid. Nobody likes to be nervous. But sometimes it does. It keeps you sharp and keeps you on your toes.
3: You know, that that fear of public speaking, which has been quoted many times as being the number one fear of people here in the United States. That means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the box than delivering the eulogy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There there are some people who are in that emotional state. They are fraught when they're asked (laughs) to stand up and, and say a few words. And they would rather die than go through the experience. Can you imagine? <laughs> I've met any number of people that would rather go through a root canal, which to tell you the truth, folks, I had one about a couple of years ago. Anymore, it's no big deal. It, they're filling a big cavity. That's really all it amounts to. It was virtually painless there. But people would rather go through an intense dental procedure than to be than to have a, to give, let's say, a, a three minute talk
1: before the PTA. Yeah. And I think the root of phobias comes to control. People are afraid when they speak in front of a group of, of individuals because they fear that they're not in control or that they will lose control. People are afraid of of the dark because it's the unknown and they can't control it. You know, all these fears uh, and superstitions it all has to do with control, which, interestingly enough, is heavily tied into Friday the 13th. is about control.
3: Uh, say say a little bit more about that. What 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 was the beginning of of the the origination of the this whole Friday the 13th stuff? You talked about the Nordics and about the Christians. I mean, is that I mean, what was what was the uh, bridge between those numbers and then actually creating a uh, a fear of Friday the 13th?
1: Well, the issue of uh, Friday the 13th, or rather the number 13, was circulating around in the background of European culture, and my my study of Friday the 13th took me back in time a thousand years to the time of the Crusades. Now. I'll I'll try to make this as brief as possible, because we certainly don't want to get into an in-depth history lecture, uh, which I find fascinating, but uh, a lot of people may not. But the first crusade captured Jerusalem in the year 1099. And for the people who don't know what the crusades were, um, the country that is now Israel, um, back then it was referred to as Palestine, Judea, that area, it had been conquered by Muslims and at that time conquered by Turks. And... The Crusades were a series of religious wars waged by European kings in an effort to recapture the Holy Land for Christianity. And the Knights Templar were the equivalent of a special forces unit within the Crusading armies. And the reason that they're called the Knights Templar first off they were both priests they were ordained priests as well as highly trained warriors these were the kick butt take names delta force navy seals of the medieval era and when Jerusalem was captured from the Turks, and uh, it's unspeakable the the horrors that the crusaders inflicted upon the people living in, in Jerusalem, apparently they slaughtered over 20,000 people in one day. So it was anything, as Mother Teresa said, what war can possibly be holy, particularly those. But the this particular unit of knights was given the area that is believed to be the site of the Temple of Solomon, and there was a great mosque that, uh, that, that sits on top of it, and that's how they became known as the Knights of the Temple Mound, and that became the name the Knights Templar. Well, the Knights Templar were the intellectuals of the Crusades, and they certainly realized that wars cost money and they needed to be financed. So what the Templars did—and the Crusades lasted the better part of uh, two-plus centuries—they set up an international banking system. In fact, the first international, multinational banking system in history with offices all the way from uh, Britain to, to Jerusalem. And so if you were going off on a crusade or you were going to be a pilgrim, you would take your money and deposit it in a Templar uh, repository. They would give you a certificate— for that money, and then you could cash it in at any Templar Templar um, uh, office, if you will, uh, throughout the Mediterranean world. So, because that was safer than carrying, you know, a bag of gold with you. But they did one thing: they charged interest, which in the medieval era Christians were not supposed to charge interest, and that was considered the crime of usury. So. What happened is eventually the Crusades were a military failure, but European kings kept borrowing very, very heavily from the Knights Templar and having to pay back pretty heavy interest in, uh, on those loans. And they were no longer using the Knights Templar's loans to fund to fund their wars against Muslims. They were funding them against themselves. And King Philippe IV, he was known as Philippe the Fair. He, from the paintings, you could see he was, uh, I guess, by all standards, a handsome man. He, he uh, had these angular features and he was real good looking, so he was known as Philippe IV. But the, that's where anything nice about him stops. He was a ruthless uh, tyrant and he was up to his eyeballs in debt for his war against uh, England. I believe it was uh, King Henry, of, uh, one of the Henrys of England. Well, he couldn't repay his loans, and at this time, his political puppet was the Pope. And this is a period in history where the Vatican was forcibly removed from Rome to southern France, to the city of Avignon. And I've, I've had the pleasure of visiting Avignon and doing some research there, and there's an area, um, a, a huge—it's it, it's the most incredible city. I highly recommend anyone who goes to France, make sure you go to Avignon in southern France to the Palais du Pape. The Palace of the Popes, and it, it's 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 just absolutely beautiful. But for the better part of a century, that's where the Popes were headquartered. So the King of France, the all-powerful King of France, had the the Vatican under his thumb, and Pope Clement V was also up to his eyeballs in debt to the Templars. So. The King and the Pope conspired. How do we get rid of our debt? How do we seize the treasure of the Templars? Now, the Templars, the Knights Templar, they were a very mystical and mysterious order. They had their secret handshakes. They had their secret codes. Not just anybody could join their order. It was rumored that when they took possession of the Temple Mound in Jerusalem, that they had actually located the Lost Ark of the Covenant, which we all know that Harrison Ford rescued from the Nazis. (laughs) Okay. But... uh, um, but there was also a wide belief that they very possibly may have come into possession of the Holy Grail, which supposedly was the, the chalice, the cup uh, that Jesus used at the Last Supper. Well, you know, neither of those, to my, to my knowledge, have either been substantiated, but the pope and the king drew up a list of charges against the Knights Templar. Number one, usury. Then they, they put witchcraft, heresy, blasphemy, sodomy, homosexuality. They came up with this massive list of charges, trumped-up charges. And then in a coordinated raid at dawn on Friday, October 13th of the year 1307, the Knights Templar were arrested in Paris. And their Grand Master, his name was Jacques de Molay. And Jacques was... Uh, A very skilled soldier, politician, a banker, and the Knights Templar were rounded up and then they were charged with all of these heinous crimes. Well, what happened was the Knights Templar refused to confess and proclaim their innocence. Hey, this was medieval France. They were subjected to the most god awful tortures, thumbscrews, the rack the Iron Maiden, hot pokers, and surprisingly, the Templars confessed. Mm. Well, yeah.
3: We need to go to break.
1: (laughs) We'll come back with more of the the Knights Templar. Oh, there's a lot more. Uh, We'll we'll do this at the uh, other end of the break.
2: (laughs) There we go. I want to hear more about... The horrible tortures to which they were subjected, including ultimately being forced in France to drink boxed wine.
1: boxed wine is
2: a travesty of justice. It's Friday the 13th, and Mark Anthony is our guest. We're going to have more fun with Mark on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Seattle's home of alternative talk, AM 1150.
1: Preceding audio
2: was via a Skype call.
1: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terryterryloving.com. At That's terryterryloving.com. We all make promises,
2: big and small, tested over time and distance, tried by circumstances and decisions. I pledge allegiance to the flag of
0: the United States of America. I do solemnly swear to bear true faith and allegiance. To help you when you're in need.
2: To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To be considerate and carry courageous and strong,
3: for better,
0: for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish,
2: to be your loving, faithful friend,
0: partner, child, parent, neighbor.
2: One of our most important commitments is to support our nation's veterans. Learn how you can help a veteran going through a difficult time by visiting maketheconnection.net. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Mark Anthony, psychic medium and lawyer, to weigh the evidence for eternity.
3: On Saturday, Hank Garrett makes his debut on our show. From abject poverty in the mean streets of Harlem to his movie and television roles on Car 54, Where Are You, and Three Days of the Condor, Hank has great stories
2: to share. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007.
3: We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
2: Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150KKNW.com.
3: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our special guest this hour, Mark Anthony. I want to mention um, before I ask Mark about his how to reach him and all of that good stuff, I want to say that Mark is willing to take some calls here in the balance of the hour. There's more to be said, but if you had a birthday on the 13th especially friday the 13th if you were born on friday the 13th or, or any thirteenth, or, or any 13 um i want to invite you to to um call in and mark will see you know what comes up if you have a question so much the better But if not, if you just want to see what there is that Mark can read for you, then he said that he would do that today. This
2: could be your lucky day.
3: So even though there's not a lot of time left, you could be
2: one of those lucky callers. Especially if you were born on Friday the 13th, like Suzanne said, or any 13th, we'd like to hear from you. And Mark is generous to extend himself in this way. Uh, This will be the lucky day for the 13th. Now, Mark.
3: If people would like to get in touch with you, what is uh, the, your, your website, social media? Tell us what is going on with you and let our listeners know.
1: Certainly. Um, please visit my website, evidenceofeternity.com, which is just like my last book, Evidence of Eternity. And when you visit there, sign up for my newsletter. You can also sign up for a telephone session with me. And if you mention Mance Ann Mitchell in the application form. You will qualify for a reduced fee reading. This is a present that I want to give on Friday the 13th to listeners of Manson Mitchell. And also, you can follow me on social media and find out about uh, how to order my books, which is there all on my website, all by visiting evidenceofeternity.com. And also, um, Gary and Suzanne, a good, I'm now doing a radio show with a good, good friend of theirs, Dr. Pat Basili, every Thursdays um, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, The Psychic and the Doc. So Dr. Pat and I of the Dr. Pat Show, we've teamed up, and I'm um, doing readings, and she's giving her intuitive, street-smart Behavioral Psychologist Insights, and uh, the show's been a lot of fun and already turning into a big success. And And so uh, I feel like I'm uh, an extended member of the KKNW family. Well, yeah, and I think you were that uh, even before this latest
2: venture. People are quite used to hearing you on our airwaves. You're an honored guest anytime, and thank you, Mark, for uh, making that special available by mentioning Manson Mitchell. I did not know you were doing that, and we sure appreciate you for it.
1: It's a Friday the 13th surprise, so let's warp back in time. So the Knights Templar arrested on Friday the 13th in October of 1307 and charged with all these heinous crimes that were all falsified by the King of France and the Pope, King Philippe IV and Pope Clement V. And Jacques de Molay, the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, was was sentenced to be burned at the stake. He asked that his pyre be facing Notre Notre Dame Cathedral, and he was um, seven years after their arrest, on March 18th of 1314, as the flames engulfed, Jacques de Molay, he cried out about justice and how the Pope and the King will see me before God. Well, what happened was, within a month, the Pope Died from an illness. And a few months after that, King Philippe dropped dead during a hunting accident. Wow. Well, yeah. And so here's what happened. I mean, gossip this juicy started spreading throughout Europe like wildfire. And people wondered was Jacques de Molay actually an agent of Satan who struck down God's representative on earth, the Pope and the all powerful Christian King of France? Or was Jacques de Molay innocent and actually an instrument of God's justice and striking down the King of France and the Pope, whose evil plan was hatched on Friday, October 13th, and so that's where people in Europe started focusing on, well, this entire chain of events began with with the Knights Templar and Jacques de Molay being arrested on Friday the 13th, so the historical basis fell by the wayside, and people started associating Friday the 13th with bad luck and a curse, and now we have the historical link for this, because a few decades later... It appears in Geoffrey Chaucer's, and anyone who's had to take British Lit in High School, we we're all forced to read the Canterbury Tales. In the Canterbury Tales, Geoffrey Chaucer writes how Friday the 13th is a cursed day. So that is how we got to where we are, in large measure. In large measure, but it gets even better. Some of the Knights Templar escaped. Uh, not not the uh, 60 who were arrested, but there were other Knights Templars stationed in France, and they were real clever, and they owned a a bunch of ships because the Templars, they were rolling in dough. They escaped to Scotland, and because of their intelligence and their architectural and engineering background, they started melding into Scottish society by being useful and productive members of, of the community, and many of them were Masons. And there were two types of Masons, the rough Masons, who were the ones, you know, getting the huge blocks and bricks, and then the Masons who worked on soft stone, which they called freestone. So they called them freestone Masons, which eventually we now know as the Freemasons. And they kept their secretive nature, their secret handshakes and code words, very, because it was also a guild, which was a an organization of skilled workers and intellectuals during the medieval era and a few centuries later the freemasons then came to the united states or what was then the british colonies what's really fascinating is that they kept within their their culture what had happened uh, the the wrongs that were committed upon them the the false charges the torture and it's Fascinating to note that of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, nine of them were Freemasons, but even more fascinating, of the 39 men who signed the United States Constitution, 13 of them were Freemasons. And it is widely believed that the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution, which was enacted in the year 1791. The Eighth Amendment is the ban on cruel and unusual punishment. Ah. So the United States was the first country in the world to officially ban torture. And it is believed, and this is my my theory and my belief, and uh, that we can trace all of this to what happened to the Knights Templar as a result of their arrest on Friday, October 13th of 1307
2: 13 mark thank you so much thank for sharing you. that story that with us wonderful. that was a lot
1: of good and new information
2: i wanted to tell you that and suzanne was slapping her forehead a moment ago we forgot to give out the number and we have some callers anyway
3: yep people who are who know about kknw Our
2: loyalists
3: so god bless them if you can put on your mediumship hat for a moment
1: I am good to go. Let's are, let's connect
3: to the other side. Let's bring on Anna from Kirkland. Anna, say hello to Mark Anthony. And when is your birthday? What month?
0: Hi Mark and thank you for taking my call. My the month is June. June 13. 13? Mhm.
3: Very good.
1: Okay, thank you. Anna. Let me open up to the other side and see who wants to come forward. I'm getting a male energy coming in and he feels to me like he is Perhaps on the generational level, it could be on your generational level, which would be like a brother, sister, cousin, spouse, friend. But I think feel he's on the one above that, okay? So on the parent-uncle um, level. And what I'm getting with him, I keep feeling a lot of strange sensations in my ears. What this would indicate to me is that he most likely had some type of hearing deficit, hearing problem prior to passing, I'm also getting what I call a blinking sensation, which is an indicator that he was having difficulty with mental focus and clarity prior to passing. A uh, poor gentleman, he was elderly when he passed. So I'm going more with on the parent, possibly grandparent level. Um, and what I'm getting with him is is he was having a lot of physical agitation prior to passing. Like uh, I'm getting this these antsy type, uh, frenetic feelings. And I feel that his mental clarity was compromised. This could be Alzheimer's, it could be uh, dementia. Um, but he wants you to know that he's completely free of that and at peace now. Hold on. I want to hold position here. Does any of this make sense to you?
0: It's not clicking with anyone. Hold
1: on hold on let, let me keep working with him because a lot of times people are expecting family members and it may not be a family member he's talking to you and he's um talking about what's going on with you gastrointestinally particularly in your esophagus and i'm getting the sense of a lot of um, heartburn and acid reflux is anything like that going on with you
0: not right now but i had a time it, that it
1: was all right, then that's a yes, okay, mm-hmm. because it may not be going on right now, but if you have a history of that, okay, hold on. This guy keeps telling me that he used to read you a lot of stories, a lot of stories when you were a little girl. Now, lots of dads and lots of grandpas do that, but, um, yeah, he keeps saying that he would read you a lot of stories, and he oh. said that you're mm-hmm. the type of person that if if you were start to nod off or doze off and he'd, like, skip a couple paragraphs, you'd wake <laughs> up and say, wait a second, you missed something. Does that make sense to you? <laughs>
0: A little bit. Yes. Yes.
1: Why do you, why do you say that?
0: Um, because I do like, I like stories and uh, just like with movies, I, I don't want anybody to turn it off if I'm.
1: <laughs> yeah. You don't want them to fast forward the DVR or skip a few pages. Okay. So yeah. let's see what message he has for you right now. Hold on. Um, he said that you're actually doing a very good job about keeping yourself healthy keeping yourself healthy. Are you um, a real ardent uh, mask wearer? Because he's talking about that. I'm actually feeling a mask on my face. He says, you're really good about your air quality and protecting yourself against infections. Does this make sense?
0: I am a pretty pretty good mask um except in an environment where many don't. But I am other than that, yeah.
1: Okay, I wasn't sure because your signal is very unclear and you were breaking up. Here's the message from him. Um, Wear the mask all the time when you're out, if you're at work or wherever. He said, because you've been very good about this, you need to continue being good about this. Um, And also, I'm getting the feeling that this could be your grandfather on your mother's side of the family. That's what I'm getting about him. Okay, and he keeps go. Okay, and he keeps talking about stars and stripes, stars and stripes. I know that stars and stripes is a military newspaper. Um, I don't know if it still is. I I assume it is. So I'm getting the sense that he was probably in the military, and it looks to me, um, I don't know if he was in the air force or the U.S. Army Air Force, which would have been World War II. Um, But um, he keeps giving me stars and stripes, so I'm going to leave that with you. Thank Fantastic. you for calling, you, Anna.
0: Anna. Appreciate that. Thank you so that. much.
1: And without the
3: number, no less. Very good. Very good. The next person that we have up is Barbara from Bellevue. Barbara, say hello to Mark Anthony. This will be pretty quick.
2: Hello. Hello, Barbara from Bellevue.
0: Hi. Um, I wasn't born on the 13th, but I have a sister and a brother that were born on March 13th, 11 years apart two
3: days before my birthday. And so I'm 13 years older than my sister. So 13 is very prevalent in my family.
1: All right, we got three. Yeah, we got judges say yes, Yes. do it. Yeah, Yeah. we got three 13s there. So you totally qualify. (laughs) So (laughs) okay, hold on, Barbara. Um, Interesting. Do you have a little dog, kind of looks like a, a Yorkie or a Scottish Terrier that has passed?
0: Yes.
1: Well, I've got a little dog coming through that is just the sweetest. I mean, like, wow, I feel total love. Oh, by the way, um, and I'm sure you understand this, but for the benefit of the listeners, any being capable of the emotion of love is capable of spirit communication. And even though you may have been wanting to hear initially from one of your human relatives, I got the sweetest little dog, looks like a terrier coming through, and... Um, Boy, you just used to uh, love love this little dog up a lot. And was this a male? Because yes. I get the sense that he may have been. A, uh, yeah, this was a male.
0: My Pasha.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's funny—is you kind of regarded him almost like a little girl would a fluffy stuffed toy, like the way you would hold him <laughs> and carry him and and, uh, and and show a lot of affection for him. He really appreciated that. He was fiercely protective of you. It's funny because he was a little dog, but if like a stranger came up he felt like he was a rottweiler (laughs) it's so funny um so so he wants you to know that um you made a very tough decision Uh, i believe that you had to put him down is based what i'm feeling because he had this terrible inflammation in his lungs it feels like a, a, a burning sensation so there was some type of inflammation issue with his lungs uh his his uh hindquarters his hips were in tremendous amount of pain so he is coming through number 1 to tell you how much he loves you, appreciated you being the custodian of his being and also to to thank you for for essentially uh putting him out of the the terrible misery that he was in and he knows how painful a decision that was for you. You almost didn't want to do it, he said, but no. you 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 did it. And so he he wants to thank you for that.
3: Very good. Well, very good. You.
2: Well, thank you for calling, Barbara. We appreciate that. That was excellent. And excellent. let me piggyback on that. Uh, pardon the pun, but animals. There, it's we got three minutes to go here, Mark. It is very reassuring and very encouraging for anyone to hear that not only did their individual pet survive but that it's possible for an animal to survive and to communicate across the veil as it were that's very very big in relief for people who wonder if their loving animals are gone forever
3: we we've got two minutes left and we have lee calling whose birthday is december 13 say hello to mark anthony lee
2: hello and uh, thank you i was born uh, friday december 13th 1957
1: hey there you go Wow. Okay, Lee, is your mom on the other side? Because there's a female energy coming through that has a very, very maternal um, way about her. Yes. Okay. She. The first thing she says is, Lee, you got to take care of your molars and your teeth. And I'm tasting novocaine. I'm getting a lot of sensitivity in my teeth, particularly on the left side, the upper, and actually the lower molars. Did you have some dental work there, or are you having some sensitivity there?
2: Uh, I think left side had a root canal years
0: ago.
1: Okay. I'm picking up from her that there may be some other issues that you have to keep on top of. Um, She said that you're not being a, uh, I don't, no pun intended, you're not being a good boy with your dental care. Are you kind of slouching on uh, uh, keeping your teeth in good condition?
0: Uh, Yeah, they're brushed to just avoid the dentist.
1: Okay. Well, I can understand that during the pandemic, but mom is telling you that you need to, to uh, basically get a checkup. So, um, and, and, I, and I mean this in, in lightheartedly, but it's also very true. Just because your mom is dead doesn't mean she's going to stop telling you what to do, OK? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Message, so she's looked, she loves you, and she's looking out for you, Lee. And I want to thank you for calling in. God thank bless. You. And Lee, don't worry about going to the dentist. It doesn't hurt much. And you
2: might just avoid the tragedy of gingivitis.
3: okay well just one minute left and thank you so much today mark anthony for coming in and and sharing with uh with our listeners and i love all this information about the 13th because i myself have the 13th birthday i'm not going to ask you for reading but I'm, you get that privately. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I, uh, 13th, I'm not afraid of that. That's not an unlucky number. That's a good number. And I'm glad you came to share what it is that you know about the 13th with our listeners today. And
2: Mark, I'm, I'm very delighted that you're finishing up your book. We want to be one of the first to interview you when it hits the stands and Amazon because your books are winners. They are thoroughly researched and very beautifully presented. So we look forward to talking
1: to you again in regards. I, I look forward as well. Uh, you know, it's a tradition. When I release a book, I'm on Manson Mitchell. So um, thank, thank you, Gary. Thank you, Suzanne. And I want to thank everyone who listens to Manson Mitchell. If you want a reading with me, go to my website, evidenceofeternity.com. Mention Manson Mitchell in the application form, and you will qualify for a reduction um, on the cost of the reading. Many blessings, and everyone, be well. Thank Stay you, tuned
3: for Christine Upchurch, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and then American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Have a great weekend, everyone.